On today's show, I have pianist and composer Joseph Seif, and we're going to be talking about his new Works for Solo Piano, which is now streaming on Spotify. And I think as we talk a little more, we're going to discover that Joseph is something of a Renaissance man and has his hand in a few different artistic pursuits. So welcome to the show, Joseph. Thank you, Kelly. Thanks for having me on board. Do you like being referred to as a Renaissance man? I don't know. I'm still coming coming to terms with that. Um, it's kind of a funny term, but I'm, I've just I've always been that way. Though I've always had a lot of interests, and um, I've always been told to focus on one thing, and <laughs> I tend to like uh, get in, get into lots of different things in different times of my life. And um, you know, I guess it's a good word. I don't know. I I don't I don't mind it. Well, I'd like to talk, you know, about your creative process today. Uh, first, let's give a little background just on works for solo piano. Um, this is something that you both composed and you play piano on. It's streaming on Spotify. I mean, is this a, a formal CD release, or what would you actually call the release of this music? So I released two EPs. They're two separate sonatas. Um and I put together a playlist because I'm in the process of, put, of releasing an LP, with, um, which is going to be titled um, Works for Solo Piano Volume 1. And, um, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting because when you're composing for piano, it does take quite a bit of time. And, and um, you, you don't do it in the, in the traditional way that you would with like a pop album. Um, it's, it's a little bit more... Um, kind of involved in terms of sequencing and um, process and that sort of thing. But I, the crazy thing with this, with this set of um, albums is they, they basically um, came back to back. I started working on this project in, in August and, um, and it happened really, really quickly. And I'm in the process right now of um, after releasing these two sonatas, um, putting together an LP and, and promoting it that way as well and hopefully performing it. Mm -hmm. Now, what was it like when you were composing this? Um, when I was reading some of your info, it sounded like you really immersed yourself in the creative process. And I, I don't have it in front of me, but that you said something to the effect of you composed right to the edge of your musical playing. It's almost like, you know, you're right. stretching yourself as far as you could go with your composition. Well, just a quick background to give you a little bit of context. Um, I'm actually a commercial photographer and cinematographer, and I've been doing it for almost two decades. And prior to that, I'd been a classical pianist. Um, and ever since I switched careers and I've been in the visual world, I've basically I've, I've kept, kept up the piano stuff. I kept practicing, but I didn't really think about it too much. I was very much kind of focused on on my visual career, my visual arts career. Um, and this past summer, um, I, I was hitting a bit of a burnout. I was getting burnt out. I was hitting a creative block. And I felt like I just, you know, I needed to take some time off. And um, I, I basically drove up the, the central coast, the California coast. Um, and um, while I was doing that, I had a camera with me, a couple of cameras, and I was planning on doing some, you know, landscape photography or something like that, something that long, that's not commercial or whatever. I didn't end up touching the cameras at all. 
because when I was driving up, I just suddenly started hearing this sonata in my head. And um, I, one of the instances I pulled over and I hummed it into my phone just to kind of record it and have a mental note of what I was hearing. Um, and I was gone for about four days. And when I came back home, I immediately just sat down at the piano and started writing the score for this thing, for the first sonata. And um, within about a month, I had booked a recording session um, with Clear Lake Recording Studios in North Hollywood and, um, and just recorded the first sonata. And, and things kind of like escalated from there. People seemed to be really responding to it and, and really enjoying it. And, and it felt to me, it felt like coming home. But like to answer your question about the technical ability and that sort of thing, having been away from the piano from that long, I've had to really kind of get my chops back and really try to push for even like a, a percentage of where I was when I when I had to switch careers. Um, and um, basically, yeah, I, I, for the sake of keeping it interesting and for longevity and, and that sort of thing, and for, and for the challenge, I've been composing at the edge of my technical limit, which is basically the edge of what I'm able to play, um, because I'm the person who actually recorded these pieces as well. It's not just my composition. I'm, I'm the pianist in the recordings um, for now. Um, in the future, I hope that people pick up, pick it up and, you know, and, and do their own um, interpretations, performances of these pieces, and I would absolutely love to hear other pianists' interpretations of it. Um, and um, you know that's you know to be to be seen, but that's you know that's in a nutshell that's basically kind of how it, it came to happen this year. Mm -hmm. What composers influenced you? Are, are you a very traditional, you know, kind of composer? It, it seems like you know in this day and age we hear a lot of modern takes on classical music, mm -hmm. but it seems like you're almost a purist. Uh, you know, what camp do you think you're in? It's funny because I, I am a purist in, in terms of late romantics. Um, I'm an absolute, um, I just absolutely love Sergei Rachmaninoff, for example. He's one of my favorite composers of all time um, and many other people's as well. Um, I really love, you know, Mahler and um, uh, let's see who else, Satie's probably another one. Um, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I like that era quite a bit because it's very heartfelt. Um, but to modernize things, and, and because I'm kind of a product of the late 90s, mid-2000s indie scene, and I, I was kind of, I, I used to be in a shoegaze band, so I, I used to play a lot of guitar-driven Wall of Sound stuff as well. Um, I'm really interested in atmosphere, and I feel like what I'm trying to do here with, this, with, with my piano compositions, I'm bringing in a little bit of every part of me, like, my cinematography and photography background comes in because I'm really trying to focus on atmosphere and mood. And those are things I really work with quite a bit um, in my day-to-day -day work. So I try to bring a little bit of that to a classical kind of late romantic sensibility. Um, and I'm also interested in, um, you know, like wall of sound and creating, creating textures and, um, and reverb and, and basically trying to make the piano not sound absolutely traditional in that sense. I'm, I'm just, I'm basically trying to experiment with different, different elements that I'm very interested in. And I've, I've always been interested in throughout my life. And I feel like this record, thought, these two records kind of reflect that a little bit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Sure. Well, it's interesting to hear this on Spotify, and maybe this ages me, but, you know, I think of Spotify and most streaming sites to be such a young millennial type of thing, and it's very refreshing, I think, to see new classical music being streamed, you know, not just, you know, the the classics, but, Mm -hmm. you know, new music. And I'm just curious, how are your online listeners responding? I mean, are you breaking through to people that maybe don't normally hear a lot of classical music online? Absolutely. That's actually the interesting thing is most of my listeners are, um, like in the indie world or in the indie scene. And um, a lot of the people that have reached out to me are, you know, um, Bay Area or L.A. kind of indie you know, musicians or people who work in the record industry and that sort of thing. Um, and it's, it's, it's interesting because I'm not, I'm not directly targeting the traditional classical audience because I've been out of that world for so long. Um, I'm, I'm really working within... Um, you know, a, net, a network and a, and a basically a, a group of artists um, and who do different things who are not necessarily in the traditional Juilliard school of, of you know, classical music or conservatory, you know, um, um, attendees or, or trained people. Um, I mean, I'd like to reach out and, and be able to be a part of that as well, but like, I feel like I'm just, I'm, I'm trying, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to take um, the essence of the, my favorite classical music and, and make it accessible and interesting to a wide range of people who may not necessarily uh, be interested in, in, you know, listening to another rendition of um, Chopin's Nocturnes or something like that, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And it's been, it's been kind of a fun journey for me. I've been really enjoying it. It's, it feels really good to connect with people at that on that level. It's it's very personal and it feels really fulfilling. Well, in addition to the recording, have you been performing any of this new music live? Not yet. It's all happening really quickly. Like the second sonata just came out like a week and a half ago. Um, so my plan is my plan for 2020 would be to. Um, do small rehearsal type um, performances in, in I want to say LA, San Francisco, New York, possibly, and maybe expand from there. But what I'm also doing is I'm promoting my fine art photography book onward. And what I'm what, what in my in my head or in my mind, what I'd like to do is to uh, perform the piano pieces and maybe set to a slideshow of some of the images from Onward or maybe a film, an accompanying film, um, and then talk about the, um, um, the photographs in the book as well. Because that, 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 that book was basically, um, it, it consists of 12 years worth of, um, 12 years of images that I've kind of picked up on the road, like as a photographer. I've always had a camera with me and, um, you know, when I'm on an assignment or a commercial job, I always took notes and um, it ended up being, you know, um, coming together in the form of Onward. But I feel like it didn't quite 100% capture who I am. And I, it would be really wonderful to release them both together as an LP and a book um, and promote them that way. And that's that's the direction I'm going right now. And interestingly, the book has dimensions of 12 by 12, just like an LP record. 
so they would they would fit together really nicely and 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 they're a dichotomy of you know of the different things that I'm interested in and I think they reflect who I am in a really holistic way. Now when you say LP does that mean you'll be doing a vinyl pressing? Yes. Um well, it's interesting because, you know, it's almost 2020 and we're still talking about vinyl. I've always loved vinyl. I've been a bit of an audiophile for most of my life. It's been amazing to see it go in and out of fashion, and now it's very much in fashion. But if you're doing an analog release, I mean, that's really the way to do it. Because with digital, if you were to put out a CD, it's kind of, it's not as, in, I mean, it's kind of pointless because you can have streaming and you can even get higher bit rates than CD. Uh, for, with streaming, like I, for example, I use Tidal, which allows me to stream master quality audio at 96 kilohertz, that sort of thing. I'm getting into weeds here, but um, yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd like to have a physical, tangible record of, uh, you know, these piano performances, and I think vinyl is the way to go with that. It would be a combination of vinyl and in the vinyl LP, that'd be there would be a card with a download code for people that they wanted to download the mp3s um and that way they'd have it both in digital and analog formats nice well it's interesting there's been such a compact of vinyl more in the pop and rock world but it seems like the classical fans have never really let go of vinyl and that you know classical music they've always been at the forefront of putting out the really um you know audiophile pressings of work absolutely Absolutely, and it's and it's just so um, so. I, I love collecting classical records, classical vinyl LPs, because there are different I mean, the performances of the same pieces by different symphonies throughout. You know, sometimes it's the same symphony, but 20 years later, and you know, like you really, the nuances are there. You really hear and appreciate and experience the nuances. You appreciate them, and um, you know, there's just something to be said about that. And, and the, the quality of the sound is just all-encompassing. It feels like a like a blanket. It's really comforting, um, especially mm-hmm. in, a, in, a, in you know when you're listening to symphonies or concertos on an LP versus digital. Yeah. Well, it's interesting to look at your visual work. You know your book, your photography, but also you know your moving image work, your cinematography. And I, what I was really kind of taken by was you photographed you know, some very prominent people, including, um, who was it, Condoleezza Rice and, you know, just, you know, some very high-profile people. But in your cinematography, um, it seemed a little more music-oriented. Did I see a credit with a a Sting music video or a performance? Yes. Um, I got to work on a Sting music video for a couple days, and it was wonderful to work with. Um, it was myself and another cinematographer. We were doing two different units, and I got to hang out with him in the studio, and he was an absolute gentleman, and that was a really, really fun shoot, for sure. Yeah. That's the thing with, with what I do in my visual life. Yeah. You really get to experience these things and meet different people that are absolutely inspiring. Yeah. I'm curious when you're either photographing or doing, you know, film work with someone like that, did that help bring back a little yearning for you to say, hey, I want to be on the other side of the camera now, or, yeah, I want someone to video me performing. Did that give you a little nudge towards this new project? 
Actually, funny enough, no, not really. <laughs> I'm, I'm not an in front of the camera kind of person. I'm very much, it's, it, it definitely puts me out of my element, but um, it, I'm not driven by, you know, the fame aspect of it. What I'm driven by is really the ability to leave a body of work behind for, like, for example, for my daughter and for, you know, like, generations after me. Um, I want the work to be its own thing, you know, to speak for itself. It's not really about me. I mean, the work is really just a culmination of my experiences and my emotions and my feelings. But at the end of the day, it's not about me, you know. Um, and, and and with great art, you re- it's really a labor of love with a lot of people. There's a lot of people involved. And um, whether it's people you're thinking about when you're making the art or people who are helping you make the art, um, it's a record of a period of time um, and a state of mind that you're in, and an emotional state. And it's, and to me, that's what drives me. And I'm, I'm, I feel like time is very much um, of the essence, and you know, in, a, in someone's lifetime, like my own lifetime, I feel like there are a lot of things I want to do, and I'm driven by the actual um, final product more than the consequences of that. If that makes sense. It does, yeah. and and it makes me, uh, you know, think about how we're in such a highly specialized world, and not just in business, but in art too. And a lot of people who go into the arts, they're told, you know, you got to, you know, pick one thing, you know, put everything into that, you know, find your passion. And it seems like it's really hard to balance multiple disciplines. And especially for you, because, you know, you're doing all these at a very high level, but are you the exception, or do you think, you know, artists can be at a high level at more than one discipline? I'm, I, I really think they can. Um, well, for me, like, the piano was the first thing in my life, the first artistic medium. I started when I was four or five years old, and... Um, I don't think I would have been a successful visual artist if it hadn't been for the piano because it gave me um, a, a really great um, sense or understanding of subtlety. And, you know, with, with art, it's all about subtlety. It's all about taste. It's all about, you know, um, communicating something, communicating a feeling, an emotion, um, an idea, Right. And, you know, the piano is a fantastic way to, you know, develop that sensibility and develop that language in a sense. And, you know, and, and when I transitioned over into um, cinematography and photography, I took a lot of the lessons I learned in my teens and in my youth as a pianist um, with me, and, and they, they applied perfectly. And it's, I really feel like it all comes from the same place. I know it's, it sounds a bit cliche, but... It really does. When you're inspired to do something, it's the medium doesn't matter. The medium is just, you know, it's just a vehicle for it, for whatever that is. And, um, I, I mean, I, there isn't, you know, there's definitely a learning curve and a skill that you have to acquire when you're picking up a new medium. But um, I, my, my advice would be to, like, start with one, you know, and, and expand as you go. And when, whenever you have a creative block, like, this is what, this is what happened to me. I had a creative block. I, I switched mediums. Now my visual work is, is way more 
it feels right now, the stuff I'm doing right now feels a, little, a lot more vibrant and it feels more um, um, authentic and true to who I am. And and that's, you know, it's just because it's, it's, it's sometimes you just have to switch mediums. That's, that's all there is to it. Um, and be able to play around with those mediums and express yourself. What would you say is the common thread in all your work, be it playing the piano, composing music, photography, cinematography, what is that one constant, you know, that part of you, that that self-expression that comes through in each of those? Um, I feel like I live in the abstract. I, I, I tend to pay attention to the things that are intangible, and, and those are the things that are interesting to me. It's you know, it's all about like with, with literature, it's about reading between the lines, right? I mean, same thing with music and with, with photography and film. Um, and I feel like the common thread between all of them is that I, I don't try to make things too literal, except I'm, I mean, when I'm doing commercial work, it's obviously part of the course. But um, even then, like I still try to draw on something that's bigger than myself or even the project. And I, I sometimes think of myself as an antenna in a way. And I pick up a lot of things from, um, you know, I, I don't want to sound too new agey with that or anything, but there, it really feels like I'm, I'm kind of absorbing things from everywhere um, and processing them, um, feeling them, and releasing them that way. I'm almost like a conduit more than a maker. Um, and that's how I've, I approach all of my mediums that I work in. And that's why I have so many mediums because it took me a long time to realize this. Um, I need those mediums. I need lots of mediums to be able to thrive as an artist. Um, if I'm just working on one and focusing on one, I feel like I'm more of a craftsman. And that that is admirable and, and great. But like for me, like I feel um, a lot more comfortable when when I'm working with, you know, with abstract concepts or when I'm in, in an unknown scenario where I don't really um, have an agenda and um, I'm creating things for the sake of creating them. A few more compelling questions for you, but I want to make sure uh, before we finish that people can find you online. So uh, where's mm-hmm. the best place just to learn about you, your music, and to listen to your music? Sure. Um, I have a website up, uh, josephsifemusic.com. Um, I have um, the entirety of the two, um, the two sonatas. Uh, you know, they're streaming on that, as well as links to um, Spotify, Tidal, Amazon Music, and all of that stuff. Um, I also have an EPK in there with a photo gallery for press. Um, so it's kind of a nice, it's basically a microsite in a way for the piano comp- compositions, um, and it feels, you know, feels pretty much ready at the moment. So it's josephsifemusic.com. They can also find me on Spotify and most streaming services, um, except Apple Music, which apparently does not accept classical music as a category, which I found kind of interesting. Um, but basically everywhere else. Um, and currently the, um, the albums are basically set up as EPs. Um, and in a few months, they should be uh, consolidated into an LP. Um, so just by looking me up there, they'll be able to find me. Excellent. So here's my uh, 
the question everyone wants to know, you know, in the, in this world of electronic music and young people, mm-hmm. you know, listening to pop, um, it seems like, you know, so many things are being lost, forgotten, you know, not seen as relevant. You know, if you had a chance to tell, you know, a young person who has an open mind saying, classical music is still relevant because, and, you know, this is why, whether it's your music, your new compositions, the classics you love, you know, why do you think classical music is still important and why young people should listen to it? I absolutely think it's important. It's important because it it it, it has a universal appeal to to us as humans. It has it, it can reach really really deep and um, and make us feel something. Um, and you know whether that's something universal or something personal, it's it, it has that ability. It has that capability of doing that. And you know, like every music basically branches out from classical and. Um, you know, and, you know, all of that stuff is EDM and, and, and everything. That's all great. I mean, there's nothing nothing wrong with that, and, and there's nothing wrong with pursuing that. But there's there are some, some artists right now, like, for example, Niels Fromm or um, Jan Tiersen or Max Richter, more modern composers that are taking synthesizers and combining them with classical piano sounds, or they're taking, you know, prepared piano um, concepts like, for example, from, from someone like John Cage, um, a mid-century composer, and and they're playing around with atmosphere and they're playing around with um, with rhythmic percussive arrangements, and I find that absolutely fascinating. And you know, there's there's definitely room to create and make things interesting. And and the term classical is very like um, misleading in a way because it, it puts things in a box. Um, I like to think of my music as something of, that builds on classical, but is very much a modern um, take on what someone's idea of classical would be. And, um, you know, I, I highly encourage people to get into classical, even if they're into EDM or hip hop or anything like that, because it'll give them a foundation to work off of. And, and, and not to mention how vast you know, like a fast library of of sounds and feelings and emotions that they can tap into. Mm-hmm. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time out to be on the show today, and I just have to wrap up and say, you know, I think you're an inspiration to anyone who wants to attempt multiple disciplines at a high level. You know, you you're you seem to have the golden touch with whatever you choose to do, Joseph. Thank you so much, Kelly. I really appreciate it.